This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. fair trade products can be a great way to go about living a more sustainable and ethical life. One person that knows this just about better than anyone is Paul Rice, president, CEO, and founder of Fair Trade USA. In today's episode, Paul and Lisa chat not just about his experience with founding Fair Trade USA, but how that organization intersects with global events. They touch on the recent farmer protests in India, how fair trade artisans have been affected by COVID-19, and of course, how we as consumers can help support fair trade workers and organizations, especially during these tumultuous times. Let's get into it. Hello, Good Together listeners. Welcome, welcome to the new episode of our podcast. And today I'm thrilled to be talking to Paul Rice, the founder and CEO of Fair Trade USA, a true leader in the industry that, as you know, is very near and dear to my heart. So now, um, if you've been listening for a while to our podcast, we've talked on the podcast before about what fair trade is and its significance. But in this episode, I'd like to focus more on some current events, particularly on what's happening in India right now and what role fair trade organization can and should and if they should play a role in this in the situations and this kind of events. And of course, I'll also give you a few sneak peeks where uh, Paul will be sharing a few current updates on the fair trade industry too, which I'm very excited about as well. So Paul, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? I would I would love to know your history. You know, you founded Fair Trade USA in 1998 after returning from an 11 year stay in Nicaragua. So that's fascinating. So tell us uh, what got you there? Well, you know, I went to Nicaragua because I was interested in uh, working with farmers and promoting sustainable agricultural development. And um, while I was there, I had a chance to start the first fair trade coffee co-op uh, in 1990, uh, first co-op, fair trade co-op in Nicaragua. And mm-hmm. we were expo- exporting to fair trade buyers in Europe who were literally paying us 10 times more for our coffee than what farmers could get in the local market. And so wow. that kind of introduced me to the power of business, uh, responsible business, and the power of ethical sourcing as a way to uh, help farmers and their families on a journey out of poverty. And, and so 
fair trade at the time was big in Europe and there was not much happening in the US at all. We were lagging. And so I moved back in, um, in 94 and uh, launched Fair Trade USA in 98 with the vision of uh, creating this certification program that we have in, in order to mainstream a fair trade. And as you mentioned, um, you know, fair trade, you, you've talked about fair trade in previous um, podcasts. And um, what our, you know, contribution to the fair trade movement is uh, at Fair Trade USA, we have created this standard and the certification around that. So fair trade is both a philosophy and a movement, if you will, a movement mm -hmm. for social justice and better livelihoods and sustainability. But it's also a standard and a certification regime, which, you know, very much like organics, um, gives farmers and now factory owners as well a framework in which to define their, you know, their, uh, their journey of sustainability, to define responsible practices, and then to demonstrate that they're in compliance. So we, we have a 200-point checklist of social, environmental, and labor criteria. We audit and certify farms and factories every year against that standard. And so when you see that fair trade certified seal on a bag of coffee or a bunch of bananas or maybe a fleece at Patagonia, uh, you know that those producers got a better price. Uh, they produced sustainably. They took care of their workers. They took care of the environment. And, um, and all of that is being supported through your purchase as a consumer. So we really, fair trade is about harnessing the power of the market and the power of you and, and me as everyday consumers to change the world one cup of coffee at a time. Exactly, exactly. That's exactly what um, kind of we always talk talk about it, right? The right your power as a consumer, the conscious mm -hmm. consumerism movement, and of course, fair trade is a huge part of that. So um, you've mentioned Patagonia fleece. Um, you know, everybody mentions Patagonia. It's amazing brand. Um, I just got a swimsuit from Patagonia, which uh, has fair trade sewn um, label, right? So nice. tell me how can you give us a little bit of a visual? So. What process does Patagonia have uh, to go through to get this, um, you know, certification? Like, does yeah. a member of your team go and actually physically visit the factory? Yes. Yeah. So um, Patagonia is a great uh, pioneer and um, what we call a lighthouse brand because they've made a big, bold commitment. They're about 75% fair trade now across all That's their amazing. styles. That's amazing. And they're on their way to, you know, to 100%. So a lot of companies are looking at what they're doing, and they're looking at how Patagonia is not just doing fair trade to help the workers in their supply chain, but also they're using fair trade to tell a story, to engage the consumer, and to be successful as a business. And I, you know, I always like to underscore this, that fair trade is good business. It's not just good for workers and farmers. It's also good for the brands. Uh, Absolutely. So, uh, yes, in answer to your question, we um, visit their factories every year. We inspect their factories. We have auditors based in the various countries around the world where we're working. And right now we're in 46 countries in Africa, Asia and Latin America. Uh, so that swimwear, you know, is probably sourced from uh india or maybe from vietnam we have staff there we have auditors there they uh, are both training workers and um and talking to workers on a regular basis about factory conditions 
Uh, and then we're also um, auditing once a year to make sure that those factories are meeting the fair trade standard around things like worker safety and health, you know, making sure that workers are protected, which is super important right now during COVID, exactly. right? I mean, we, we, uh, uh, we've just learned, you know, in general, the public has just learned what PPE means for personal protective equipment. Yeah. But in the fair trade standard, one a, a whole section of our standard is around the requirement of factory owners uh, and farm owners to provide personal protective equipment to their workers and then to train them in why to use it. And so uh, fair trade became even more relevant than ever during COVID because we already had in place our protocols for, <clears throat> for training workers and farmers in things like um, uh, PPE. That's amazing so, yeah. to hear, so what yeah. That means, mm -hmm. What that means is when you see that label on your swimsuit yes. that you bought at Patagonia, what it means is two things, basically. Number one, that that factory met the fair trade standard, right? All of those safety requirements and, and all of those labor and environmental requirements. But then number two, it means that Patagonia uh, agreed to pay more money. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of the secret sauce of fair trade. There's a, what we call the fair trade premium, which is paid by Patagonia in this case, or the brand, um, and which goes back to the workers in that factory. And they get to manage that fund and to uh, invest that money in really important uh, community uh, investments like daycare centers. Mm -hmm. uh, I visited one Patagonia uh, factory in Sri Lanka that had built a daycare center, and that made it. Uh, possible for young mothers to um, stay in the workforce, to continue working in the factory and to leave their kids at the daycare center while they were at work. Um, fair trade premiums also pay for uh, health uh, uh, services to workers or educational services. Uh, so, you know, the the little bit, you know, maybe just a few pennies more that that um, that we pay as a consumer for a given fair trade item ends up driving uh, significant change for the farmers and workers on the other side of the world. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, it's so great to hear from kind of from you directly, a person who actually visited those factories and seen it with your own eyes. Um, and especially you're talking about fair trade premium. And, you know, it's so much more important right now during the COVID crisis. And we've been talking about India. You've mentioned India, right? Uh, I'm in contact mm -hmm. with artisans there, too. You know, what happened with COVID hit? You know, uh, without, you know, fair trade organizations, you know, people mm -hmm. are completely left on their own, right? When the orders have been uh, stopped, you know, by big, you know, fast fashion or regular brands that are not fair trade, the workers yeah. are completely left helpless. And those kind of premium funds um, are basically were saving lives, right? Is that right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think we've all seen in the news just how dire the situation is right now in India with regard to uh, runaway COVID. And, you know, it, it, it's so interesting because here in the U.S., it feels like we're turning a corner. Our economy is starting to open up again. Exactly. Bars and mm -hmm. restaurants are opening up uh, thanks to our access to uh, the COVID vaccine. But, you know, COVID vaccine inequity around the world Absolutely. Is, uh, is such a huge problem. I mean, a, a friend of mine in Nicaragua died last week of COVID, right? So we, we kind of mm -hmm. forget because things are better here in the US that around the world, in, in India, in Africa, 
uh, in Latin America, uh, COVID is still raging uncontrolled and, and people just don't have access to vaccines the way we do uh, here. I heard on uh, NPR this morning, only 2% of adults in the African continent have uh, received even one vaccination so far. So we've got a long way to go Absolutely. in India and around the world. Now, I'm, I'm really proud to report that in the factories that we certify uh, and, and, and on the farms, uh, in the farms that we certify around the world, you know, we're working now with about 1 million, a little bit over 1 million farmers and workers in, uh, in, uh, in 46 countries. And the incidence of COVID among our communities is very, very low. And I attribute this, at least in part, to the fact that fair trade is already getting those farmers and those workers uh, involved in um, uh, health uh, training and mm -hmm. safety programs and, um, and helping them get access to personal protective equipment and the training that they need to use it appropriately. So, I, you know, it, it shows you the power of getting organized, right? Whether they're Absolutely. farmers uh, or workers, uh, fair trade provides a context for those uh, those folks to get organized and to get trained, and that has very very powerful health benefits. Uh, I'm really proud to report that none of our factories in India have reported a death yet among the that's, workforce that uh, that's that's under fair trade certification. That's amazing. Yeah, and again, this is just like a perfect case study for preemptive measures, right? Like education and preemptive measures and safety and exactly. health measures. That that is amazing to hear. Yeah. So let's uh, let me give a little bit of a context. Um, you know, if you are not following the news, I know sometimes the news are just too sad and difficult to follow, uh, obviously, but what is happening, uh, what else is happening in India right now, right? So nearly mm -hmm. 1 million Indians whose primary source of livelihood is agriculture have amassed in New Delhi in the capital for more than five months. Uh, the protests um, that you probably have been hearing about they are peacefully protesting uh, Indian government. Um, the Indian government's move to deregulate wholesale trading. So basically, what's happening uh, back in September of 2020, Indian government passed three new agricultural bills that de deregulate and privatize India's agricultural industry. And essentially, that's what farmers are protesting. And of course, I, I personally have been in India in 2019. You know, I. I saw the poverty level. It is um, quite shocking when, you know, yeah. you're up front uh, with it. You know, we visited artisans in very remote parts of India. I mean, but yeah. even in New Delhi, the capital, is it's right in front of you. So the situation with farmers in India, right, it has never been great, right? So yeah. sometimes that they're not even, um, or sometimes many times, they're not even able to sell their crops or, you know, tomatoes, yeah. um, with any profit, right? They literally, it's better for them just to throw it away instead of selling it, which yeah. kind of counterintuitive. So I know I've been talking a lot, but can you give us your perspective? What's happening in India? Like um, how farmers are working and kind of what fair trade um, is, what role fair trade is playing there right now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it, it's, it's, it's truly tragic um, to to see what's happening in India from um, uh, a legislative perspective. And, and this happens in so many countries around yes. the world, even mm -hmm. here in the United States, you know, when we have a bad government in power, um, there are all kinds of laws uh, passed that adversely affect farmers and workers. And that's what we're seeing in India. We're seeing, you know, very, um, 
uh, bad government um, that is dismantling many of the protections yeah. uh, and regulations that were put in place over many, many years to help keep farmers um, uh, afloat. And, um, you know, again, um, we see this, I mean, right now there's similar um, similar challenges in Colombia, yes. in Ethiopia, mm -hmm. in a lot of countries where we're working. We can see the, you know, kind of back and forth um, uh, of public policy and how 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 bad things can get when public policy goes wrong. But what what I want to say about that is that fair trade really doesn't do much in the realm of public policy, and and, and that public policy work is 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 very important. And there are great mm -hmm. organizations out there that are lobbying the U.S. government to pressure the Indian government or that are, um, you know, working through uh, allies in India to kind of support the cause of the farmers. That work is important, but it's it's kind of outside of the scope of what we do uh, mm -hmm. in the world of fair trade certification. What we're saying is, yes, let's fight the good fight on the public policy side. But alongside that, let's create market based approaches that can support those farmers. Right. And so that's what fair trade is all about. We're linking directly with Indian farmers. We're connecting them with some of the great brands and retailers that we work with, like Costco mm -hmm. and yeah. Whole Foods and Safeway and even Walmart. And by creating those strong market linkages, we're able to then support farmers in India through better prices. And that's really what they need right now. They're not asking for charity. The, the yes, farmers in yes. India are just asking for a fair price for their harvest and for all the hard work. They just want to keep food on the table, right? They just want to keep their kids in school. Exactly. And so, you know, whether it's India or, you know, Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, what's known as the Northern Triangle, where we have so much outward uh, migration, bad public policy is, 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 is always a problem. But there are market-based approaches like fair trade that can at least uh, reduce that impact and create hope for so many farmers that, uh, that have joined our movement. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I always like to say fair trade is not about charity, right? It's just about giving people access to dignified jobs and uh, getting paid fairly, just like you and me. That's yeah. all uh, what people want in most of the world. And this, and that's kind of why um, I, I was involved in fair trade specifically for many years, because I truly believe that fair trade and providing jobs with fair wages mm -hmm. is the best solution to poverty. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so in India, as you mentioned, um, I'll just give you a few more details about that. And then I would love to hear more about your collaborations with the brands that you've just mentioned. And again, market approaches, um, social business. That's, uh, again, something I very, very personally strongly believe. So in India yeah. specifically, and as you mentioned, uh, India is just a case and kind of a country that's in the turmoil right now. But again, as you just said, it actually happens all over the world, right? So mm -hmm. in India, under the previous laws, farmers had to sell their goods at auction at the state's Agricultural Produce Market Committee, where they were previously guaranteed to receive at least the government-mandated minimum price, right? So they had some protection. But yeah. what had happened in September, three new laws initiated and rushed through by the government of Prime Minister Narendra Modi dismantled this structure, this minimum price, uh, yeah. instead allowing farmers to sell their goods to anyone for any price, uh, which kind of might, might sound good in a good situation, but it means that also there is no safety net whatsoever. And as you just said, basically what fair trade is 
is a solution, the marketplace approach, right? Basically, uh, institutional governmental issues will always be there and they have to be addressed, right? As you just said, by other organizations. But what fair trade is is doing is like, okay, what can we as businesses and as people can do, like almost like bypassing these governmental solutions, right? Uh, let's just give people the means to survive in the situation. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so when it comes yeah. to these types of workers, right, and human rights uh, movements, um, how are fair trade organizations involved? You've just said about, uh, talked about your fair trade, you know, say your, your guys' market approach. Um, yeah. Are you familiar with, like, fair trade organizations uh, on the ground in India, like the actual fair trade certified factories? What yeah. are they doing on the ground? Well, so, so we're working with um, uh, farmers in India that are growing tea mm -hmm. and uh, cotton and rice. Uh, and I actually visited a, a fair trade rice cooperative um, uh, a few years ago uh, in India. And, um, um, you know, what, as I mentioned a minute ago, what stands out is the fact that those those farmers that are organized into cooperatives and are selling directly to international buyers, they're able to get a much, much higher price, mm -hmm. uh, and a much more stable trading relationship, a much more equitable trading relationship that allows them to kind of stay afloat, even as the Indian government is dismantling laws and kind of removing the safety net, right? And that's one way to look at what is happening right now is that that the farmers in India had a safety net and yeah. that's being removed. And by the way, here in the U.S., our farmers have all kinds of subsidies and, and safety nets, right? So, uh, you know, the, the notion that governments and public policy have a role to play in um, keeping farmers alive and keeping food growing, right? Like this is a commonly accepted uh, concept that mm -hmm. we implement here in the U.S. as well. So it's, it's really... Um, Quite negative and backwards that the, the 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 Indian government right now is kind of tearing out this uh, this this support that Indian farmers have enjoyed. What we see though is that at least with those farmers that are fair trade certified and selling uh, in a more direct way, they're getting a better price and they're staying afloat. And uh, you know, and even with the pressure of COVID, which has kind of wreaked havoc on uh, supply chains worldwide. You know, it, it's disrupted Absolutely. transportation. It's made labor scarce uh, in many uh, countries. And so in spite of all that, we're actually really um, gratified to see that both on the farms where we work as well as in the factories, uh, because we work in apparel and home goods factories uh, in India as well. Uh, and we're just seeing them do really well despite uh, all these adverse circumstances that that's huge yeah i have like uh some data from earlier in may so as as of may may 5th in india had 3.6 million active cases from what i've been following like recently i don't think the situation has improved still so you know the fact what you've said you know uh, thank god you had no deaths in in any of the factories that you're working in india um that that already proves so much because unfortunately the devastation in that huge country right uh, the population is I believe about two billion people there right mm. if I'm not mistaken you know the yeah. fact that you know you have this positive news um, that's huge and again shows the importance of the fair trade work 
outside of COVID in the pre-COVID era, but it's just highlighted how important really is that, that uh, you know, yeah. during crisis like COVID. So let's talk about more positive things, right? So you've mentioned, uh, you know, Costco, Walmart, um, other brands. So tell me, you know, at Brighton, we always love talking about, you know, uh, being imperfectly sustainable. And we apply that to both us as consumers, you know, uh, sustainability is a journey. It's not a, um, it's, um, it's not a destination, right? So we also like being kind to big box corporations, right? We love celebrating their small steps uh, if they're taken in the right dire- direction too. Yeah. So tell us, and this again, these corporations have massive, massive impact. So tell us how they uh, some of these companies work with you guys. Hey, Lisa, did you know that every year 10 billion disposable razors are thrown into trash around the world? I never thought about the amount of waste I was generating every time I shaved my legs. Yes, I remember we've discovered this staggering fact last year, and ever since then, me and you have been on the hunt for a sustainable plastic-free razor. The tricky part for me, though, and I know a lot of our community members feel the same way, is that safety razors can be very intimidating to use. I was literally scared when I first shaved with a safety razor. Same. But we finally found the perfect option, haven't we? Leaf Shave has created the world's first multi-blade pivoting head safety razor that makes your shaving experience almost identical to the one with a plastic razor. Leaf Shave is certified carbon neutral, and they package and ship 100% plastic free as well. My favorite part about their Leaf Razor is that it accepts up to three blades so that you can decide how close of a shave you want. Once you're done with the blades, you can send them back to Leaf to recycle responsibly as scrap metal. This makes shaving plastic-free easier, safer, and faster than I've ever experienced. But if, unlike us, you're a total pro and not intimidated by safety razors, Leaf also has a more budget-friendly option, their Twig Razor. Check it out. Good Together listeners get 5% off by using the code BRIGHTLY at leafshave.com slash brightly. That's L-E-A-F-S-H-A-V-E dot com slash brightly. Finding a trusted ethical beauty brand that actually works can be difficult. Absolutely, which is why Laura and I were so excited when we discovered 100% Pure. 100% Pure is a beauty and skincare brand that is, well, as the name suggests, 100% Pure. All of their products, from lipsticks to face masks to eye cream, adhere to strict purity standards and will never contain harsh or toxic ingredients. What I thought was really cool, Lisa, was how they create the pigment for their makeup using natural ingredients. They use fruit, vegetables, and even tea and cocoa. I've never seen a product that does that. Yeah, I haven't either, and I've looked at a lot of clean beauty brands recently. Also, when you shop with 100% Pure, you're able to choose one of the two options for where you can make a difference. One option is choosing to donate one bowl of vegan dog food to a shelter dog for every purchase. Since 100% Pure is certified cruelty-free, I love how committed they are to animal welfare by giving you this option. The other option you can choose is to have 100% Pure donate one tree for every order. If you'd like to try out 100% Pure's cruelty-free products, head to 100percentpure.com and use code BRIGHTLYISPURE30 for 30% off. That's 100percentpure.com and code BRIGHTLYISPURE for 30% off. 
Look, I, I started Fair Trade USA 22 years ago, and um, when we started, and for many years, this notion that American consumers would pay a few cents more for mm -hmm. a product that helps some farmer on the other side of the world, that was seen as crazy talk. I mean, we had exactly. so many companies uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s, we had so many companies slam the door in our face, basically, and say, you're crazy. Fair trade will never work in the U.S. Maybe it'll work over there in Europe, but it's not going to take hold here. And so what we saw then over time was at first mission driven brands. They tend, you know, tended to be smaller brands uh, that were really um, anchored in a social and environmental mission and that saw business as a vehicle for serving the greater good. Mm -hmm. Right. As well as generating wealth for shareholders. Those early pioneers of what you might call the conscious capitalism movement, those early pioneers were the first adopters of fair trade here in this country. Uh, and they proved that fair trade could work as a business model, right? Yes. Not just as a way to transfer wealth or improve conditions for farmers and workers around the world, but also as a business model here in the U.S. And it was really because ordinary consumers like you and me were uh, seeing the fair trade label out there, buying the product and, and rewarding those companies. So early on, we signed up, um, you know, companies like Equal Exchange. And, yes. uh, and then we got to work with bigger companies like Ben and Jerry's and, um, and uh, Honest Tea. And then when we started with apparel, we signed up Prana and Patagonia. And so those were kind of the pioneers. Yes. But then um, gradually mainstream retailers started to take notice. And they, in turn, have also started to worry more about supply chain issues, either because they don't want to be kind of caught up in a supply chain scandal, like, mm -hmm. uh, like the, the Rana Plaza collapse a few years ago, or because they actually see that a strong supply chain leads to a stronger business. And, and that's what Frankly, that's what inspires me these days is to see kind of mainstream capitalists, if you will, the leaders yeah. of companies like um, uh, Costco and Walmart and Safeway and obviously Whole Foods. They're a pioneer. Mm -hmm. But to see the leaders of these companies realize that um, through more ethical sourcing, uh, more sustainable sourcing practices, they can not only take care of the of the people and the environment in 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 the communities where they source, but they also build a better business. So, I, you know, let me share a couple of really exciting things that are yes, just happening. Um, number one, um, you know, we're seeing the migration of fair trade products from some of the higher end brands and retailers to more uh, mass market uh, brands and retailers. So, for example, with um, with uh, apparel, with clothing, we started with Prana and Patagonia, but now we're working with uh, brands like J. Crew and Gap. Mm -hmm. uh, J. Crew just made a big, bold commitment to go 100% uh, fair trade on all their blue jeans. That's amazing. Uh, over the next few years, 100% fair trade on all their cashmere, 100% fair trade on all their chinos. So if you like Madewell, that's part of the J. Crew company. I mean, here's Here's a company that arguably is much more mainstream uh, and, and is embracing fair trade and making a big, bold commitment. But then even more exciting is that we now have fair trade blue jeans at Target. Yes. For, for yes. 29 for 
<laughs> so have, can you can you explain to me? I, yeah, I've seen those jeans. So um, how does the pricing work? Can you break it down for me? Because you know, tw- uh, first of all, it's amazing and it's so important as you're mentioning. Uh, mm. As you know, someone who's been in fair trade industry for a while, one of yeah. my passions is always like, how can we make again? living sustainably and also buying fair trade more affordable for everyone truly and this $29 price you really can't argue so can you break down the price for me if you can if that's not like a trade secret or something no not at all I mean the reality is that the 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 premium that 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 the brands pay whether it's Patagonia or Target or anyone else the premium that they pay for apparel is only around two percent of the um of the export price. So mm-hmm. it's a very small markup, um, uh, you know, for the brand. But what that translates into is hundreds of thousands of dollars each year going back to every factory uh, for them to, for the workers to manage and to invest in various community projects like health, education, clean water, daycare, uh, and so on. So, you know, for us, as a consumer, we don't really see the difference. It's such a small um, percentage of the total price. Uh, so it is possible for a company like Target to source uh, blue jeans from uh, obviously a very efficient uh, and productive factory um, overseas and pay that fair trade premium and still deliver the, that product at an affordable price to U.S. consumers. This is so exciting to me because you know, I think one of the um, critiques of fair trade, or, or or at least one of the comments that we've heard made about fair trade in the past, is, oh, well, yeah, you can get that at Whole Foods or you can get it at Patagonia, but I can't afford to shop yes, there. Yes, exactly. So what about me? And so to see fair trade products, and by the way, Target not only has fair trade uh, blue jeans, they have a great lineup of fair trade coffee and yes. tea and other products. Um, and similarly, like at Safeway, uh, um, you know, we have fair trade tomatoes and other produce items. Uh, Safeway made a big commitment to go 100% fair trade on all of their um, own brand uh, coffee recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just launched a new um, program with tar- with uh, Walmart. Uh, so Walmart is introducing fair trade tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I think this year Walmart will become the number one retailer of fair trade tomatoes in the world. And so that's benefiting literally thousands and thousands of farm workers and their families uh, who are now getting uh, better conditions, better wages and and a premium that they can invest in the uh, in the consumer in in, in their community. So, you know, we don't we don't really associate um, big companies like Target or, uh, or, or or Walmart with fair trade. But for me, I'm very encouraged by this. And, you know, obviously, fair trade is not fair trade is not like uh, B Corp, right? B Corp is a standard that assesses all the practices of the entire company. We yes. don't do that. We're not mm-hmm. certifying the company. Uh, we're not certifying Target or Walmart or Patagonia. We're not certifying the company as a as a, as an entity itself. What we're certifying is the terms of trade with the farmers and workers that they're buying from. And so that fair trade label is your reassurance as a consumer that the farmer didn't get screwed, right? That the worker and the farmer were taken care of and they got a better deal. And so why not have that product available everywhere, right? From Target and Walmart to Whole Foods and Costco, right? That's what we want. We want fair trade to be available to any and every consumer uh, wherever they shop. 
100% agree with you. Actually, um, we, you know, we do a lot of TikToks and Instagram posts um, about, you know, living sustainably. And one of the things that uh, are constantly always the most popular videos for us is, you know, uh, showcasing sustainable, fair trade, clean beauty, um, what have you, products in these big chain stores. Because mm -hmm. again, we understand that we need to be realistic uh, with everyone because, yeah. Not everyone even lives next to Whole Foods, right? We're yeah. pretty fortunate here in the Bay Area, but guess yeah. what? Bro, I, I don't have the exact percentage, but I would say 90% or whatever. You know, most Americans live next to Walmart. So yeah. the fact that, um, you know, they can buy fair trade items in Walmart is huge. I don't shop often in Target, but um, even uh, by going there like once a year or a couple of times a year, Mm -hmm. you, I can already see the difference in how many more sustainable and fair trade options they have. And again, yeah. as just you were saying, I also personally was so excited to see, again, fair trade, sustainable living, just going into masses. And it's all thanks to uh, you as consumers, right? Yeah. Who voted with your dollars to this original and supported this original, as you said, lighthouse businesses like Patagonia. Yes. And that's exactly why this change has happened. So that's amazing. So do you well, want to hear, mm -hmm. you hear yes, the latest, please. The, the latest yeah. new announcement? I'm so excited about this. I have to share. So, uh, you know, the, um, the dairy industry is one of these industries that is constantly under pressure with market, you know, market prices low and farmers struggling to survive. And so farm workers, um, you know, uh, being at risk. Uh, the cows themselves being at risk, the environmental impact. I mean, dairy is a great industry for fair trade to be because yeah. of all the social and environmental issues there. So we were invited to um, come into the dairy industry and develop a standard for fair trade there. And uh, over the last two years, we've been developing that standard, consulting with the stakeholders. We just uh, launched the very first fair trade dairy product with Chobani. Chobani yogurt uh, yes. now on the shelf with the fair trade label on it. And I'm just so proud of this partnership. I actually was in New York last week and had uh, a meeting with Hamdi Ulukaya, who's the, the founder and mm -hmm. CEO of Chobani. And he is such a visionary. He's such a righteous leader. He is so firmly um, committed to business with purpose and to yes. using Chobani as an instrument for supporting workers, for improving the environment, for providing jobs to refugees and, and other really important social issues. And so I just, I'm so excited because now, you know, you and I can, um, can support those farmers and farm workers in the dairy sector through our purchases of Chobani yogurt. And obviously we're not gonna stop with Chobani. We're, we're now pitching uh, Danon and uh, we're pitching Starbucks and companies that use just milk. Uh, we think that this could be a, a, a huge program, and it speaks to the expansion of fair trade here in the U.S., right? Yeah. So historically, we were focused on helping um, impoverished farmers and workers uh, overseas in Africa and, and Latin America and Asia, mm -hmm. but now we're bringing fair trade home. We're, we're certifying farms That's and factories amazing. here in the United States and addressing, you know, the, the, many of the same issues, right, in terms of worker safety and health and wages. Uh, so I'm just really proud to, to be now certifying uh, US agriculture and to be in partnership with Chobani on the dairy initiative. 
That's amazing. Congratulations on that. And yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, we always kind of think as fair trade is like uh, an international um, issue, right? Uh, somewhere not here. Uh, but that's great that you're bringing it home. And again, dairy, uh, as you just said, it's such a big industry and so much potential for change there in many yeah. ways. Yeah. Um, okay, well, any other exciting news or you share so many great things that I was not even aware of. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's um, it's really uh, fun to see the um, the rollout of fair trade fruits and vegetables, um, mm -hmm. and and these are being sourced both from um, uh, Latin America as well as from here in the United States. So um, this is a big growth area, and it's helping a lot of farm workers. Uh, and their families. Uh, you'll find fair trade produce uh, at, at Whole Foods, of course, but also at Costco. Yeah. And um, and and now at Walmart and Kroger and uh, and Safeway. So you know, it, I think many people, their first association with fair trade is coffee, right? Because that was what Absolutely. we started with. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, 20, mm -hmm. 20, years, Twenty years ago, we started with coffee. And, uh, you know, I worked with coffee farmers in Nicaragua, so I had a personal passion for coffee. And so a lot of our focus in that first decade was around um, tackling uh, poverty in the coffee industry and, and, and really trying to build those bridges of partnership between farmers and brands and coffee. But today, Fairtrade is so many other products and uh, fruits and vegetables, fresh produce is right now the fastest growing segment. Uh, of the fair trade market. And, and I'm just so excited about that because I think consumers are concerned about health and, um, and wellness. Uh, they wanna know that their produce is safe and healthy, but they're also asking questions about, you know, is there child labor involved in my produce exactly. and mm -hmm. environmental destruction? And so fair trade provides that, that assurance that, you know, when you buy a fair trade banana or tomato or pineapple or, or any other product, you know that that product was grown sustainably and that the workers and farmers were taken care of. That's great. No, and uh, yeah, very good to know, which I didn't realize uh, how much of an expansion. I kind of see it as a consumer, uh, you know, in the grocery aisle, I'm seeing more and more fair trade labels, but that's great that, uh, you know, obviously you have the data, you know uh, what's going on. That's great. So uh, last couple of questions of our episode. As you know, we always like to uh, kind of leave our um, listeners with inspiration and a few actionable things that they can do, right? Mm. I know it's pretty obvious, right? How can they support farmers and fair trade producers in India and around the world? Well, you know, obviously, <laughs> my, uh, my, my theory of change is around conscious consumption. And mm -hmm. um, of course, I think that starts with uh with with each of us um developing some some mindfulness and some exactly. intentionality around mm -hmm. what we eat you know so often when we eat we're just eating to to fuel our bodies and we're not stopping to think about the you know the coffee growing family that's living at the bottom of our coffee cup we're not stopping to think about the hands that picked the blueberries that we're having in our morning exactly. breakfast and so just slowing down, just slowing down in our yeah. acts of consumption to reflect for just a second on the families 
who put their their you know their hearts and souls into growing the food that keeps us alive and then thinking empathetically about wow does that family make enough money mm-hmm. to live a decent living and and to keep their kids in school and to have hope for their future that that act of intentionality and of empathy is the beginning of change right because once you're there then as a consumer you start to think about should i be looking for organic should i be looking mm-hmm. for fair trade should i be looking for non gmo mm-hmm. and that will lead us i think on a path where our everyday purchasing decisions can have such a tremendous impact um, in a positive way on the world. 100% agree. Exactly. I, I mean, I was obviously going to say search out the fair trade certified, you know, logo, a certified product. But yeah. again, the first step, as um, you've mentioned, just slow down, right? Just think about it. And that's all we ask. That's And that's a, mm-hmm. such a huge, important step on the way to becoming a conscious consumer, at least a more conscious consumer. Yeah. And so um, finally, what are one or two ways that you try to live sustainably in your own life? Um, can it be anything, whether it has to do with food and your morning breakfast or anything else? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking. So, um, I mean, obviously... I buy fair trade products uh, a, a, as much as I can. And, you know, it's impossible to be 100% fair trade right of now. Right? There, there isn't a fair trade version of everything that we might eat or buy. So I don't want people to feel guilty or, or beat themselves up because they, you know, don't find fair trade. And so they buy non-fair trade. But when exactly. you can, when you see that label... You know, if you choose that fair trade label, you know you're making a better choice. You know you're helping people and you're helping the environment. So for me, in my in my personal practice, number one, I buy fair trade and organic uh, always, every time I can. Number two, uh, you know, obviously I'm very conscientious about recycling. Uh, I take energy conservation very seriously. I um, compost my scraps. Like I'm doing mm-hmm. all the little things, which I think yes. if, Add up. if the people, we all do it together, it adds up and, and amounts to big change. Uh, you know, I of think course. my life journey has been all about making people's lives better uh, and alleviating poverty and, and, and restoring hope to hardworking farmers around the world. But I have to say, more recently, I've begun to think a lot more about environmental stewardship and climate change. And, and the two are so closely connected, right? The, 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 the livelihoods of people and the, the, the health of the planet and the climate are also inextricably connected. And so we promote sustainable agriculture, we promote reforestation through the fair trade mm-hmm. standard, but I'm starting to think increasingly about other ways that I can help build this bridge between social and environmental sustainability, because I really do believe that they go together. And to the extent that we can advocate for both, we're going to quite possibly survive what otherwise could be a really challenging future for the planet. 100% agree. Yeah, I feel like almost in every episode, we kind of end up talking about all of the different aspects of sustainability, because as you just said, you know, all of these things, you know, fair trade, human rights, but also environmental issues and climate Mm. change, they're also interconnected. So it is important uh, Mm. to think about this as a a whole. Well, Mm. Paul, it's been amazing to have you on the podcast. I'm so glad we've had um, 
time for this conversation. Thank you so much for sharing this amazing fair trade news. I'm really excited to share it with our audience. And mm. uh, again, um, we are looking forward to learning more about um, all the other programs um, and things um, that Fair Trade USA will do to really change the world for the better for both our planet and the workers around the world. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. And I, I'm just so grateful to you for everything that you're doing through this podcast to um, uh, enable people to change the world. And, um, you know, simple everyday ways to change the world. That's what we need. And so I, I just love that you all are sharing the voices that you're sharing. You're doing such great work. And um, yeah, a, a big shout out to, to you and, and, and also to all of your listeners. Thank you so much, Paul. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.